Yeah. So hard to believe it's uh, middle of the year already, and uh, we've come through a, a lot even just in the last six months. But uh, thinking about the last fifteen or so, it's really been a fascinating period. So the uh, <clears throat> everyone's starting to come out with their projections for uh, mid-year and where we go from here. So I just want to run through uh, the IMF and uh, the Congressional Budget Office and their latest projections and what the takeaways are from that. So, so the IMF is, uh, uh, showing actuals for 19 and 20 and then projections from 21 to 26. And they're doing real GDP, unemployment, Fed funds, the 10 year government bond, uh, court, uh, PC and the deficits, uh, or surpluses. And we're deeply in deficits now. So just wanted to go through this kind of quickly and, and highlight some of the IMF. Uh, takeaways from what's going on. So looking at real GDP of uh, 7% this year, which is a very healthy rebound from last year, just under 5 for next year, but only averaging between 1.9 and 1.7% from 23 to 26. So uh, after we get through the initial bouts of stimulus and everything else, we get back to the real issues, which is we have subpar growth throughout the world, um, and we really need to get our productivity up, and we need to get our population growth back on track to get better GDP growth. Uh, So those two themes continue to be keys. Um, You can see the unemployment dropping from, you know, 6.8% in 20 down to 4.4, and then working its way down into the threes on average. for the for the 23 to 26 period, Fed funds not moving much, uh, 30 basis points next year, 50 basis points the year after that, and then 50 basis points the next two years. Uh, and then the 10-year kind of struggling to get above 3% as you look forward, and that's in large part due to the fact that we have subpar inflation uh, expectations uh, going out even after all the stimulus that's gone on and look at the deficits uh, running, you know, the uh, levels that we're at are um, actually uh, the highest we've had since 1946 for last year and this year. So, uh, but then starting to decline uh, uh, pretty steadily, but still a pretty healthy uh, number on GDP. So, um you know, we have some nice opportunities, but then we revert back to pretty stagnant growth, uh, full unemployment, full employment levels and, uh, not much on the rate, uh, side or the inflation side going forward and deficits that are running out for pretty much as far as the eye can see. The CBO, uh, Congressional Budget Office also came out with their report and they looked out through 2030. Um, uh, 2031, I'm sorry. And you can see the dark blue is the July projections. The light blue is the February projections. And, you know, clearly the, uh, growth is running hotter than, than, uh, people were expecting. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. Uh, when we, when we look at the CBO or the, uh, or the, uh, IMF. And I think with the IMF, it's really, they are all in on the policies that have been put in place, both on the monetary and fiscal side. They think, uh, in the IMF's case on the fiscal side, we're, uh, actually in a transition period on monetary policy, but fiscal policy really needs to kick in right now and, and 
uh, carry the ball. And I think the, uh, in DC, it's the same view with the CBO, but, um, healthy growth, uh, throughout, um, deficits, uh, the worst they, that they're projected to be for this year and uh, last year and this year, and then getting better and then pro- progressively worse as we get further out. And a lot of the uh, 26 through 31 period is the roll off of the Trump, uh, the sunsetting of some of the provisions of the Trump tax cuts, uh, which is going to increase the deficit. So we cannot run deficits, uh, you know, at these levels uh uh, if we want to be a successful uh, economy. And uh, just to put it in perspective, the 50-year average of uh, uh, the deficit to GDP is about 3.3%. Um, we're projecting, as I had just showed you uh, uh, before from the, uh, from the IMF, they're projecting over 4.5% uh, out in 26. So we're running well above what the, uh, deficits have been since, uh, World War II. So when you look at, um, the debt held by the public, that's still going to continue to rise and, uh, is still jumping up even from February projections here from the Fed. So that's not exactly a great, uh, setup. And look at the net interest cost projections change as you go into the out years. Um, clearly that's a reflection of people being concerned about inflation running a little bit hotter than that it has been pushing up, uh, interest rates and the net interest costs for the U.S. Um, but those jumps are not insignificant, even just from the, uh, out in 31, you're adding a hundred billion dollars or more just to the net interest costs. So, uh, a real challenge, um, and kind of mixed numbers, but, uh, how did we get here? Well, you know, I think the IMF, the couple things you have to know is the IMF projections factor in the full Biden tax and spend plan. So the uh, tax would be uh, about $3.6 trillion. The spend would be $4.4. Um, the CBO uh, projections do not factor into that. They only take in what is law on the books. You're going to see strong growth from both really into the out years, but uh, – you know, it does start to decline, and, and that's when the debt deficits start to rise. Um, but really, it comes down to how much do we grow and what our net interest costs are going to look like uh, as we get out into the out years. Um, monetary and fiscal support is being, support is being reduced, um, but we have a very healthy handoff to consumers, uh, satisfying their pent-up demand and in corporations investing in productivity. Um, but we're going to have very volatile numbers that reflect some of the short-term distortions that are in the markets, and uh, we think that's going to be a challenge. So I think you're getting good good policies being put in place from a monetary perspective. From the fiscal side, we really need to see what is the uh, Biden uh, administration going to be able to get through with their own party and with the Republican Party uh, as we go through. and. Uh, how does the handoff uh, work its way through? And we'd be remiss if we weren't really talking about what a great job our healthcare uh, system has done in getting the vaccination rates up. But that creates another problem in that we've had such good success getting people vaccinated that the vaccination rates are slowing. And does that create a bigger problem on the on the uh, 
longer-term outlook for not only the U.S., but for the rest of the world in uh, creating bigger problems on the reopening. So I, I guess the mid-year outlook is positive, but still cautious with a lot of volatility in the numbers that we're going to see. Um, I think the health opportunities continue to be quite strong for the, for the nation, and uh, the economic opportunities are going to be quite good, but uh, we really have to get our act together in D.C., if we're going to continue to lead and, and lead appropriately and manage our way out of this and still meet the uh, big issues that we have to face, whether it's the inequality issues, the uh, other issues that are all in the headlines right now, but also just getting people back to work and how do we do it in a, in a prudent way is, you know, still under under a lot of uh, pressure. And it's actually going to be one of the interesting things to see as we get through a Fourth of July does Washington work the way it was originally designed to work? And it looks like uh, for all the fits and starts that we're having as a nation, it still is one of the places that uh, you'd want to live over many other places because of the what a great nation we have. So I'll, I'll leave it at that and open up the questions, Mark. That's great. Um, well, actually, I was reflecting on my July 4th fireworks with my daughter when you said what a great nation um for all our our warts um but what what do people think uh, questions on what uh, Stephen just uh shared with us oh Zale uh Stephen you're so negative it sounds like and it sounds like everything we're we're spending too much money and it's just going to go down. Why don't you believe that we're going to spend so much money and the economy is just going to be booming and booming and booming with this infrastructure and everything else? Great jobs. It's just going to do, you know, that whole. I, I mean, I'm not an economist, so I only took Echo 101 and 40 years ago. But you know the. Uh, you know, I spend money, you spend money, you know, I spend money on a supplier and it just expands everything. I, I'm not as if I came off negative. Uh, I just think we have we have challenges that require real solutions and we got to get the real solutions put out. And uh, I just what I'm negative on is the politicizing of everything um, without, a, in my view, a proper end game for how we're going to move the country forward. And we're being too divisive. So from that side, I'm negative. Economically, I, I'm actually pretty positive. The U.S. over most of the rest of the world, it's the, really the U.S. and China with Europe coming on pretty strong uh, now, in large part because they've gotten past a lot of the um, austerity and have moved to spending. But at some point, the bill comes due. And that's what I'm concerned about is when the bill comes due or for all the spending, are we going to have higher productivity and a better economy as a result, or are we just going to throw away a lot of money? And I'm generally as positive on the U.S. as a nation dealing with its problems as anybody, but um, when it comes to D.C., I'm not in that camp. Is That's what I want to lead, this, lead us out of this. I'm much more favorable on consumers consuming the way they're supposed to and businesses making smart investments than I am on the government leading us out of it. Other other questions, comments? I, I what are other people's outlooks, Mark? Is what I, I'm curious about. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, I, I am too. Mark Halsam, I haven't seen you in a while, or Sherry Lee, or Asael, Tom. Just curious what you guys are seeing or questions you might have on all this. I, I have a question for Stephen. I really want his opinion on it. Shoot. Okay, so I was reading on uh, Reuters that six the guys who are leading $6 trillion of assets, I posted it on 361, this article, that they want to raise the carbon, the value of carbon. They want to, uh, according to Reuters, they want to triple the value of the carbon tax and want it consistent across around the world. And it was like, whoa. This is like they're talking like Biden and these they're six trillion worth of assets. And they're all pension funds and those sort of folks. And I was wondering if you saw that and you had any comments on that. I didn't say it. So I don't have a comment on it. Stephen doesn't check our app as much as he could. Okay. <laughs> Too busy trying to get the weekly presentations done. I know, which is, which is great. Um, what are other people saying? It's, Susan, I see you on on screen. Are you are you optimistic? Uh, and if not, why? And if so, why? You're on mute. Well, I'm certainly quite optimistic about the UK because uh, we're about to be released on the 19th of July in full, and because now 85% of the population has had its first vaccination, and over 65%, close to 70% been fully vaccinated. So the numbers are really um, very compelling compared to the rest of Europe. And we're in a stronger position than the rest of Europe. What's interesting to me is to see that the um, that sterling is weakening against the dollar. And I can't tell whether that's because of the long weekend, because I do a lot of FX trading, actually. So um, that's rather unfortunate. So I'm waiting to see whether uh, the certainly what you're saying, uh, Stephen, is reflected in the currency. Um, and we're seeing that across the board. But um, it just it feels like everyone here is ready to spend and ready to move. And uh, there's a real impetus in the UK to get back to some level of normality. Otherwise, these vaccinations have been another waste of time. Incidentally, um, this um, COVID has really taken Africa by the neck in the last six weeks in a way that hit Europe six months ago, five months ago. And South Africa in particular has been suffering pretty badly, but uh, treating itself with ivermectin, which is used for sheep. It's, a, it's a, basically a, it's a veterinarian, it's a veterinary medicine. And it's been used by people um, very actively in Zimbabwe, in South Africa, and in Mozambique to treat uh, as a prophylactic, actually, to treat, in fact, in advance of getting um, COVID. So this ivermectin treatment has really taken hold in uh, the South as well, alongside the fact that no one can get a vaccination. Or very few people can be vaccinated. I think sort of like 2 or 3% of the population in some of these countries is vaccinated. Well, it's a segue. Do you want to just tell us what you're going to cover on uh, the 13th? Yeah, I'm quite excited, actually. We have some really compelling speakers. In fact, they're all very good. Um, so a really exciting um, format. And uh, we're going to go from the big picture, the macro picture, um, with um, with uh, Adrian Saville, who is a notoriously fine speaker from the University of Pretoria Business School and speaks very widely. 
uh, to um, looking at Africa, which uh, again now um, and Luke sent a really interesting piece around about uh, the investment um, in Africa from various countries and what the picture looks like now compared to 1996. 1996 till now, it's largely a Chinese-owned Africa. And um, and now I think um, Kenya is trying to renegotiate its debt with China, by the way, right now for $7 billion. And uh, China is not having any of it. And this debt is due at the end of this year. So um, I'll be interested to see what happens on that score. But um, well, how, how is the World Bank and IMF functioning on that front? I don't know. The IMF um, is not, is not, to be honest, you don't read a lot about I don't read a lot. I read a lot about Africa, but I don't see a lot of evidence of the IMF extending to Africa right now. It, they're not as obvious as they were, say, 10 years ago. Um, it's all about Chinese loans. And and uh, this latest with Kenya is very similar to Zambia, which is Zambia is owned by China. And um, and frankly, uh, Kenya is uh, in a pretty deep soup as well. So, um, and that's, you know, there's good and bad, but uh, the good is that these, these countries are developing and they have a better infrastructure and they have some investment. But the downside is that um, that, that China really is permeating Africa through and through um, and uh, everyone else is asleep. Um, but uh, anyway, on the speaking front, uh, I really like the agenda. I think that um, we're, we're kind of uh, cantering through not just the macro and not just China, but um, uh, business regulations and other topics that we think would be really interesting to the audience. Um, and a bit of philanthropy and uh, development capital with CDC, which is the UK development agency here. It's nothing to do with the American CDC. Um, and then the panel at the end, which is covering tech and infrastructure infrastructure, and, uh, and uh, women, uh, gender lens investment, and uh, you know, three or four or five groups that are completely different in media. So that will be interesting because media and using leveraging Cape Town and other really good venues for uh, filmmaking now is big and making films and advertisements etc in Africa is big it's big business so uh, across the board I think uh, quite a diverse um, agenda and um, and a week today so I'm looking, looking forward and I, I we just I, got, I think your video is going to be circulated and everything we played it earlier okay morning um, just on your point of, on inclusion, so that everyone knows, as we kick off our uh, Midwest tour, um, maybe you could join this panel. It's right after Jack's wife um, has a fireside on her book, and the first woman in corporate America. But it's uh, we we offer golf and cocktails. <laughs> and, uh, that sounds like too good to be true. <laughs> no, it's true. It's going to happen. Um, oh, it's that's great. You, you do two 10 minute interviews with a student. Uh, Brilliant. But, Brilliant. Uh, and as uh, other people may have seen, this is all come together in this document here. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll share it. We're, we're within a day or two of finalizing it. So you can book your flights and hotels. Although a lot, it's actually quite inexpensive to get around the Midwest, as you'll see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've spoken out there before in Ohio. Ohio is a big, big uh, green belt, isn't it? So I've, I've been out there a few times. So other questions on what Stephen covered, Susan covered, 
Midwest or other otherwise? I guess, hey, Mark, I had a question about Zale's comment. I just wanted to, I guess, I didn't read the article, Zale, but I'm just curious, you know, do you think carbon should not be, you know, more valuable? Do you think carbon should, I'm just curious to hear your perspective, because deep down, I feel like, you know, carbon is a really important asset, or at least, you know, kind of something that we as a society need to be thinking about. And I think placing value on it is probably one of the only ways that companies or, you know, organizations will really begin to focus and actually find a way to measure and, and whether it's a cap and trade system or have some kind of system in place. But so do you, do, I'm curious to hear your thoughts as to why that article was egregious or, or it sounds like that, that was at least your, your take on it. So I'm just curious to hear your thoughts. Oh, I, uh, okay. So I thought the article was amazing. I think putting a, a price on carbon is absolutely amazing because what the goal and, and the, again, go to 361 to see the article. Um, what they're saying is by putting a price on carbon and raising it, it's going to drive up the value of alternative uh, fuels. So, for example, if you don't if you're paying a, a huge amount for carbon, then all of a sudden, you know, electricity generated by uh, wind becomes much cheaper and much more valuable. Um, I happen to be a big proponent of electricity from nuclear because I think it's a very, very good Technology, even though I'm of the age of Chernobyl and Three Mile Island. Um, but the, the, the purpose of what these pension funds are doing is by driving the summary of the articles is they're driving up the price of carbon, allow forces other technologies to become much more valuable. So I'm, a, I'm not, don't think it's a grievous at all. I was very excited and I kind of wanted to make sure that Stephen was on board with it because I think Stephen's amazing and I want him to be next president. <laughs> I gotcha. Thank you. Yikes. Carbon you have my vote very, as well, Stephen. Carbon would be a very, I don't know whether we've ever done a deep dive on carbon and carbon trading, but it is such a big business and it's going to be monumental over the next decade, I think. 